You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. When it comes to storytelling, everything eventually comes back to Shakespeare. He's widely regarded as the greatest playwright of all time, and for good reason. His works continue to be adapted for the stage, film, television, and literature, finding new audiences through each retelling. With a body of work spanning 39 plays and 154 sonnets, William Shakespeare's contributions to English literature, as well as the English language, cannot be overstated. Phrases such as short shrift and with bated breath or all of a sudden can trace their roots back to the bard. And even if he didn't originate them, he certainly popularized them enough to cement them as mainstays of our modern lexicon. Shakespeare and his bibliography have been studied to death since his own passing in 1616. Throughout that time, he's been accused of plagiarizing and stealing the work of others, with Francis Bacon and Christopher Marlowe being named among his many victims. But not many academics believe the claims. In fact, some think more of his plays and poems are still out there waiting to be discovered. In 1794, it was 20-year-old William Henry Ireland who had stumbled across several items allegedly written and signed by Shakespeare himself. A friend of Ireland's, who wanted to stay anonymous, had given him a collection of old papers in his possession. Among them were a letter written by Shakespeare, as well as a deed bearing his signature. He presented everything to his father, Samuel, a collector of Shakespearean memorabilia. Samuel was ecstatic, and the more William dug around, the more he found... He discovered letters Shakespeare had written to his wife, Anne Hathaway, as well as some to Queen Elizabeth. There were even original manuscripts of Hamlet and King Lear. Their author had scribbled notes in their margins. Samuel consulted with Shakespearean scholars on what his son had given him. They confirmed everything was real. Samuel saw an opportunity to capitalize on his newly acquired historical artifacts. One year later, he compiled copies of the letters and notes into a book, which went on to be a big hit with readers. That same year, his son William made another incredible discovery. There was a new play. Well, an old play, but one that had never been seen by a single soul other than its author, Shakespeare. It was called Vortigern and Rowena. Naturally, he gave that to his father, and in no time, another playwright named Richard Sheridan offered Samuel 300 pounds to be the first to produce it for the stage. Sheridan, however, quickly saw a problem with his purchase— For one, the plot was far simpler than any of Shakespeare's other works. He passed the play along to a colleague, who also thought something was off about it. Doubts about the script went public, and academics from all over started to pick through Ireland's compendium of documents looking for inconsistencies. The show did go on, though. Sheridan's production survived a single performance before critics tore it apart. One of those critics was Edmund Malone. 
A lawyer by trade, Malone had spent almost a decade publishing volumes of Shakespeare's works, complete with analytical essays and copious research to back up his arguments. He put out a rebuttal against Samuel Ireland's Shakespearean collection in 1796. In his opinion, the letters, promissory notes, marginalia, and especially the new play had all been forged. His accusations inspired others to come forward. They went after Samuel, as he had been the one to assemble everything from his son. But William couldn't bear to see his father attacked in such a hideous fashion, and so he took matters into his own hands. He published a confession, titled, An Authentic Account of the Shakespearean Manuscripts. William confessed everything. He'd forged the signatures, the documents, and the play. And nobody believed him. They said there was no way that someone so young could have pulled off such convincing fakes by himself. It just wasn't possible. So Samuel continued to bear the brunt of the criticism from his peers, even after his passing in 1800. William published another confession five years later, and tried to find work as a writer of original stories. Success, though, eluded him for years. His reputation had been too greatly tarnished, and he often found himself borrowing money from anyone kind enough to lend it. William Ireland did eventually marry and have a family, but he died poor, leaving his wife and daughters with almost nothing. His play, Vortigern and Rowena, remained relatively obscure for over 200 years. Then, in 2008, Pembroke College in England produced a version for the stage. Several years later, the American Shakespeare Center in Virginia put on its own performance, giving the late Mr. Ireland one last chance to have his work appraised by the theater-going public. Apparently, opinions haven't changed all that much, as the play hasn't been produced since. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This episode is sponsored by Intuit. Here's a story for you. Once upon a time, a young woman was haunted by the ghosts of bad financial decisions, with credit card debt and an empty savings account looming over her every day. But when she tried to ignore these ghosts, they only grew bigger and scarier. And these ghosts of her bad financial decisions were stopping her from living her best life. So she decided to face them head on and take control of her finances with help from Intuit. Intuit helps you face your financial fears with confidence through products like TurboTax, Credit Karma, QuickBooks, and MailChimp. Whether you're trying to manage your money or trying to run a business, Intuit gives you the confidence to take control of your finances so you can live your best life. Intuit is the financial platform that helps everyday people prosper. Intuit has helped 100 million people live their best financial lives. Visit Intuit.com, I-N-T-U-I-T.com to start living yours. Let's get 
into it. Everyone has a bad day now and then. The kind of day when no matter what you do, everything seems to go wrong. You burn the dinner. You pour too much detergent into the washing machine. Or you suddenly hear a drip, drip, drip under the kitchen sink. It becomes a 24-hour embodiment of Murphy's Law. The idea that anything that can go wrong, will go wrong. In 1809, Mrs. Tottenham of London experienced the worst day of her life when her modest home on Berners Street caused a citywide panic. It all started on the morning of November 27th. A chimney sweep had arrived at dawn to clean Mrs. Tottenham's chimneys. There was just one problem. She'd never asked for such a thing. The maid who answered the door sent him on his way. Almost as soon as he'd left, though, there was another knock at the door. Another sweep had come to clean the chimneys as well. The maid dismissed him, then answered the door one more time for yet another chimney sweep. Throughout the early morning hours, she wound up sending a dozen soot-covered men away from the premises. And then things got even stranger. The chimney sweeps were replaced by a caravan of coal carts. They'd all had orders placed for 54 Burners Street, Mrs. Tottenham's address. She herself came out to address them and informed the delivery drivers that they all had the wrong address. She'd never ordered any coal. The carts soon left, their drivers confused and frustrated, but the peace and quiet didn't last too long. Next to arrive was a line of bakers armed with tall and expensive wedding cakes, at which point Mrs. Tottenham couldn't get rid of them fast enough. Almost as soon as one order arrived, another of a different kind quickly followed suit. Lawyers, doctors, and apothecaries swarmed Burner's Street. Clergymen who had been told of a dying man inside came to give last rites. And right behind them, were the undertakers, toting brand new coffins for the soon-to-be-deceased, despite no such person being present in the house. Cobblers, haberdashers, butchers, and fishmongers only added to the spectacle. But perhaps the pinnacle of the day came when twelve pianos arrived, accompanied by six men carrying an organ. Soon, heads of state and business got wind of what was going on at the Tottenham residence. The governor of the Bank of England, the chairman of the East India Company, and the Lord Mayor of London came to Berners Street to see it for themselves, as did Mrs. Tottenham's neighbors, who poured out from their homes to witness the growing crowd of tradesmen gathered at her door. They'd all come to deliver goods and services, none of which she had ever ordered in the first place. One of Mrs. Tottenham's neighbors was a Mr. Samuel Beasley, who lived across the street from her. He watched the calamity unfold along with his friend, Theodore Edward Hook. At one point, Beasley begrudgingly slipped Hook a guinea, and the plan had worked. Hook had made a bet with Mr. Beasley, in which he claimed that he could turn any house in London into the talk of town. He did it by putting in over 4,000 orders with businesses, politicians, clergy, and anyone else who would show up at 54 Berners Street on the morning of November 27th. And show up they did. His stunt forced the police to come and break up the crowds of both tradespeople and neighbors. Once peace was finally restored to London, a bounty was put out offering a reward for the capture of whoever had played such a disruptive practical joke. Hook, of course, played it cool and hid out for a few weeks claiming illness. When officers and onlookers discussed who might have caused the ruckus, Hook inevitably came up as the prime suspect. Apparently, his reputation preceded him. Once the fervor died down, though, Hook retreated to the country and was never caught. But he did get the last laugh. Hook didn't just plan elaborate hoaxes. 
He was also a playwright. The protagonist of his play, titled Gilbert Gurney, had a small speech beginning with this line. What else made the effect in Berner Street? I am the man. It was about as close to a confession as anyone was going to get. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.